Neuropathways, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals exploring the latest research discoveries and clinical advances in the fields of neurology and neurosurgery. Welcome to another episode of Neuropathways. I'm your host, Alex Ray Grant, neurologist in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute. In an effort to explore the latest advances in neurological practice, today we're talking about the evolution of our understanding of Parkinson's disease. I'm very pleased to have Dr. Hubert Fernandez join us for today's conversation. Dr. Fernandez is director of the Center for Neurological Restoration in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute. Hubert, welcome to Neuropathways. Thanks for having me. I'd love for our listeners to get to know you a little better. Tell us a bit about yourself, where you're from, where did you train, and when did you begin your career at the Cleveland Clinic? I was born in the Philippines. I was born and raised in the Philippines in Manila, and I did all my postgraduate uh, training here in the United States. I started my internship at the University of Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania Hospital, my neurology residency at Boston University, and that's where I got hooked into movement disorders. I did my fellowship at Brown in movement disorders. I stayed there for a few years. My assistant professorship years were there. My associate to full professorship years were at the University of Florida. Until about 10 years ago, we got a call, my wife and I got a call to move to Cleveland. And so we've been here about 10 years now, and uh, it's been great. So you're here for the weather, right? I mean, definitely <laughs> for the snow, for That's sure. Definitely for the snow. All right, so t tell us a bit about where we are with Parkinson's disease today. What, what's the impact on society of Parkinson's disease? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, this is an exciting time in some ways for, for a clinical researcher and a clinician in Parkinson's disease, such as myself. Uh, we are also... Um, a bit worried. Uh, the, the impact of Parkinson's disease cannot be ignored. It is the second most common neurodegenerative disorder, second only to Alzheimer's disease. Uh, about 1.5 million of, of our countrymen, you know, North Americans, have Parkinson's disease, and we get about 60 to 70,000 newly diagnosed Parkinson patients each year. You may not realize that the most rapidly growing neurodegenerative disorder is not Alzheimer's disease, it is Parkinson's disease. Uh, so, so the impact of that is, is unmistakable. Now, with Parkinson's disease, like any neurodegenerative disorder, it is a progressive illness. And as patients transition from an early stage Parkinson's to a more advanced stage Parkinson's when they develop motor fluctuations and also a lot of other non-motor features such as cognitive decline and other things, um, the caregiver burden is three times more the expenditure, uh, not only on drugs, but on a lot of other things, hospitalization, uh, loss of employment, uh, is exponential as, as they progress through uh, their illness. So really it isn't just an impact on the person with the condition, it's on a lot of people around them. It is the patient, it is the caregiver, and from an economical standpoint, the society in general. Has the definition of Parkinson's disease changed? And if so, how is that? It is changing, I would say. 
Um, the way we diagnose Parkinson's disease remains largely the same, which means that you have to experience the motor symptoms of Parkinson's disease. At least two of the three symptoms of resting tremor, stiffness, or we call rigidity, and bradykinesia, or we call them for what we call slowness. So you need two out of the three features to have the general condition of Parkinsonism. There are other causes of Parkinsonism, but taking everything into consideration, it is a clinical diagnosis. Now, what we are learning, uh, what we have learned in the last decade or so, is that there is really more to it than just the motor symptoms of Parkinson's. And what's moving the needle earlier and earlier in the diagnosis of Parkinson's disease is a recognition of these, what we call pre-motor symptoms of Parkinson's disease. They can occur decades before the onset of the first pinky shaking or the voice getting softer. So these non-motor symptoms, we call them pre-motor symptoms or prodromal stage of Parkinson's disease, include constipation, REM behavior disorder, when they act out their dreams involuntarily, depression, anxiety. So these can occur, as I mentioned, uh, decades before the onset of the motor symptoms. And this is relevant to us because in our quest to find disease-modifying agents, we have to really try to attack the disease as early as possible to give us the best chance of slowing disease progression or even stopping it altogether. So let's switch to talking about some new developments in Parkinson's disease. Can you tell us about changes that have occurred and how these apply to Parkinson's disease and therapeutics? Yes, for sure. You know, I, I uh, just gave an update on Parkinson's disease and I could only tell you that it was a challenge fitting everything in 50 minutes of a presentation. But perhaps the most relevant update we have in Parkinson's disease would be the emergence of targeted therapies. So prior to this, most, if not all, of our clinical trials for disease modification really had a a shotgun approach, so to speak. We took all comers of patients with newly diagnosed Parkinson's disease as best we could determine, and we studied one therapeutic agent after another uh, for different reasons, because we noticed that the general population exposed to a certain agent is less likely to develop Parkinson's disease, so maybe there's some protective effect of it. So for whatever reason, we've tested drugs A, B, C, D, and E, um, and in earlier newly diagnosed Parkinson's patients, and we've followed them for over three years, four years, or sometimes five years, because the progression is slow, and so it takes a little bit long to see the separation of those who got the real drug versus the placebo or a sugar pill. And... After three decades of doing this over and over and over again, we almost have nothing to show for. None of our clinical trials have successfully shown to slow disease progression in Parkinson's. 
on the good note is the emergence of more targeted therapies in Parkinson's. For example, we are currently now testing human monoclonal antibodies that cling to and attack the pathological or aggregated alpha-synuclein uh, proteins. These are alpha-synuclein are clumps of abnormal protein that are seen in brains of Parkinson patients. They're seen early on and then they spread throughout the brain. And so the theory here or the hypothesis is that if we somehow are able to corral these abnormal uh, clumps of proteins and prevent them from spreading, then perhaps we could slow disease progression in Parkinson's. So that's good. The other focus of attention in clinical trials are gene-targeted therapies in Parkinson's disease. Uh, we have now recently discovered certain genes, uh, certain genetic mutations that actually cause Parkinson's disease. The first one is described as the alpha-synuclein gene mutation, but the most common genetic mutation is the LARC2 gene mutation, LRRK2 gene mutation. It is present in about 5% of all genetic causes of Parkinson's disease. And um, we now have what we call LARC2 inhibitors. So if we somehow can modify th this genetic mutation and alter its expression, then we may really make a dent in disease-modifying therapies, at least for the subset of patients uh, with the LARC2 mutation. Another uh, example of genetically targeted therapies would be the GBA mutation therapies. So GBA is not a gene mutation that causes Parkinson's disease, but it increases the risk of developing Parkinson's about five-fold. GBA mutations are really seen in a rare lysosomal storage disorder called Gaucher's disease. It was kind of our observation that patients with Gaucher's disease have frequent relatives with Parkinson's disease. This was how it was discovered that maybe there is some connection, and so a meta-analysis of these GBA mutations show a five-fold increase in, in Parkinson's disease. And so things that increase the glucocerebrosidase enzyme activity might improve uh, Parkinson's disease. And there are now at least three companies investing in um, altering and improving GBA activity uh, in the cell. So Hopefully, when we have a bit more pathologically targeted agents and genetically targeted agents, our hope is that we would be more successful in coming up with meaningful disease-modifying therapies as opposed to kind of our shotgun approach of giving all Parkinson patients with, with an agent that we think would slow it. So all these antioxidants uh, have really been tested in Parkinson's disease and uh, not much has shown. So hopefully 
this uh, paradigm shift in our approach uh, uh, will give us a higher yield. So I'm excited about that. So I, I did want to change gears just slightly. Um, I know there's been some research in terms of physical measures that may affect Parkinson's patients, some kinds of exercise approaches that have been studied at the clinic. Do you want yeah. to talk briefly well, about that? Sure. So I think uh, that's a two-part question. One is um, our quest for markers that assess progression in Parkinson's disease. And that has been an elusive target for us. To this day, not only do we still diagnose Parkinson's disease clinically, the same way that we diagnose someone with migraines, for example, there is no test for it. They just sound and look like someone with migraines, they must have migraines. So the same thing with Parkinson's disease. Uh, some of the tests that we might be um, ordering for patients, they're really there to rule out other mimickers of Parkinson's, but not to rule in Parkinson's disease itself. The same way for assessing the progression of Parkinson's disease, we do a physical examination, we make them walk, we assess the volume of their voice, we make them tap their fingers uh, repeatedly and see how fast they are. At the end of the day, it's really how the patients feel and how the doctors assess their patients, whether they're faster and quicker, that tells both parties that their Parkinson's has progressed or stayed the same. And this is a crude way, to say the least, in assessing progression. Uh, so we are currently underway in testing actually pretty much every body fluid um, that may come out, saliva, uh, urine, blood, even cerebrospinal fluid for proteins and other compounds and markers that increase with Parkinson progression, but not necessarily with age. So that's kind of our quest. The other big update we have, not only on the understanding of Parkinson's disease and our hope that we will finally have some disease-modifying agents for Parkinson's and also our quest for a marker or a diagnostic test for Parkinson's and the disease progression itself uh, are the treatments that we have. And finally, I suppose, the exercise as a treatment is no longer a soft kind of recommendation. Uh, it has finally gained traction, not only in the general community, but actually the scientific community. Uh, this is something that we're really proud of here at the Cleveland Clinic uh, because we think that we are one of the few people who started it all. Our preeminent biomedical engineer, Jay Alberts, started the science of our brand, our Cleveland Clinic brand of physical therapy or exercise therapy, which is really forced exercise as opposed to a voluntarily uh, paced exercise. And um, so this started with a, an observation from Jay Alberts's uh, volunteerism for the Iowa bike ride for Parkinson uh, awareness to a clinical trial that uh, we conducted as, a, as an institution. Uh, and now it is part of our clinical practice. It is a prescription for our patients to exercise every day if they can uh, 
at least 30 minutes at a vigorous pace, as fast as they can possibly do, uh, resistance doesn't really matter to us. We focus on speed and de-emphasize resistance, which is not necessarily the brand of exercise for other research groups. Uh, the good news is that any form of exercise is better than no exercise at all, but we do think that our brand of exercise, there's something special about it. So Hubert, before we finish, any other takeaway points, anything else you want to bring up in our conversation? The good news about uh, the state we're in, I, I know we haven't found a cure for Parkinson's disease. We don't have a diagnostic test for it. We can't even slow disease progression as of yet, but our patients do live longer uh, as a whole now. We have increased awareness of the illness. We are moving to the era of targeted therapies and Parkinson's disease, which excites us quite a bit. But perhaps the one take-home message that I would, I would give everyone is that you need to be as active as much as possible, with or without Parkinson's disease, but especially with Parkinson's, and try not to compare notes. At our center alone, we, have, we follow about 5,000 Parkinson patients, and I can tell you that not one of our patients would have exactly the same regimen as another Parkinson patient. So it's a highly individualized illness. The jury is still out whether these really are all one, one and the same illness, or they are actually several different illnesses with different manifestations that look the same. This is one of the reasons why we're embarking on a huge database capturing mechanism, we call it PD Optimize, where every patient of ours that are seen uh, in clinic would fill out patient reported outcomes to look at every organ system or assess every organ system in their body with very precise biomeasures of their motor and cognitive uh, performance along with the full clinical evaluation. Uh, this is our way of trying to contribute to the scientific community and, and determine whether we face different kinds of Parkinson's, different variants of Parkinson's disease versus just really one giant illness with different manifestations. This is one way of, of trying to tease that out. So, yeah, my take-home message, exercise, but don't compare notes. Parkinson's disease is such an individual illness. There will always be someone better than you, and there will always be someone worse than you are. So always have the right perspective for it. Well, thank you, Hubert. It's, it's been a pleasure having you joining us today. I really appreciate your time and expertise and insight. So thank you for all your work. Well, thanks for having me. This concludes this episode of our Neuropathways podcast. You can find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash neuropodcast. Subscribe to the Neuropathways podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from experts in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute on our Consult QD website, 
consultqd.clevelandclinic.org neuro or follow us on Twitter at cleclinicmd, all one word, that's at cleclinicmd on Twitter. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon.